you, Lord, for that. We thank you for that. We thank you for the book that we have of all of your words. And we praise you, Lord, that you speak those words to us. You speak them as a whole, Lord God, and you speak them randomly into our lives. And, and they bless us and change the direction and the course of our lives. So I thank you, Father, for what you will do today. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us all clarity as we speak one to another, and that mostly, Lord God, we would please you and honour you in the offering of this day. And um, we want to say, Lord God, that we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I've just realised I haven't got my Bible out of my bag, which is probably like, you know... Um, Okay, so um, this is a day called Family Gifts. It's about, um, it's generally about the work of the Holy Spirit in and through believers. But I want to start right up front by saying this is not a day that is all about you. It's not a day for you to find your spiritual gift or to learn how to use it. This is a day about God. It's a day about God the Father. It's a day about the glorious, magnificent God the Son. And it is a day about God the, the Holy Spirit. It's a day about the Spirit of God making his home within us for the express purpose of building the family of God and enabling it to live for the glory of God. This is a day for family. That's why it's called Family Gifts. It's a day for the great and wonderful family of God. And if you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a part of that magnificent family. And this is a day for us. It's not a day for you. It's a day for us. And um, it's a day to see how God the Father blesses us through his Holy Spirit, how he continues to bless us through the Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us. It's, it's a, a day to understand this great blessing of God in his family so that at the end of the day, we might come out understanding more about him and more about how to move and live and be in this family of God, which we call the church. Um, that's what we are ultimately about we're about glorifying God the Father. That's what we're still here for. That's what he wants to do through us. And actually what we find when we start to understand that a little bit more, we find that, oh my goodness, we long to do the same thing. And that's an amazing thing because we didn't want to do it when we first came in. We didn't even know we had to do it when we first believed. We didn't even know anything about glorifying God when we first believed. All we knew was that God had saved us and, oh, thank you, God, for saving me. And we had no understanding, really, of the depth of what he'd saved us from or the glory of what he was going to open up to us. But as we walk on with him and as we understand more and as we receive his blessing, what we find growing in us is this desire, this longing for more and more and more of his glory to be revealed through us. And if you're listening to my words and thinking, well, she's gone off on one very early. It's not even 10.15, is it? Oh, yeah, 10.20. Then 
And if you don't feel like this, then by the end of the day, my prayer is that you will. You will long for the glory of God to be shown in and through your life. And you will long to bless the person you're sitting next to with an explanation or an expression or the manifestation of his glory. Because what should happen as we start to understand the glory of God, as we start to understand his great love for us and his great blessing upon us, that should start to work itself out in our lives as us wanting to bless the person next to us. Do you want to bless the person next to you? You know, do you? Then honestly, what I want to say right at the beginning, and I'll probably say at the end, you know, some of you probably know too much about the one next to you, so, <laughs> but try to suspend that knowledge and, and just look upon that person as the new creation in Christ Jesus that they are. The old has gone and the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old you has gone and the new you has come. And if you have any understanding of the old you, you will want to shout hallelujah, praise the Lord, that that old you has gone and this new you is here. Now I want you, without any thought, I'm not asking you to get a word of knowledge from the Lord, I'm not asking you to think of any spiritual gift at all, but I want you to turn to the person next to you. You're on tables of three, so you've got to turn twice. Um, turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them something that is true about them, but you can only tell them because you know that it is there in the Word of God. So, for example, I can look at Alan and I can say, the God who began a good work in you will see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And I can look at Maureen and saying, as you behold the Lord God, you are being transformed from glory to glory as to the Lord. And so I want you to turn now to the person next to you and say a promise of God in their life because that's what we are. We are a family that are supposed to bless one another and we are to bless one another with the truth of God. So, go. <laughs> And because Barbara has just arrived, because she had to go somewhere first, I'm going to say to Barbara that you do not need to fear, for the Lord your God walks with you wherever you go. He will never leave you. When you walk through the waters, he will be with you. And when you walk through the fire, it will not consume you. Your God is a saving God. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay, so by the end of this day, that's where we want to get to. We want to get to a place where we can honestly know that we have been in the presence of a glorious God and he has blessed us through his family. That's what we have to understand. God does not randomly work like some dust in the air. He doesn't wander around outside looking in and saying, oh, I wish I could get to them. I wish they could just come out and talk to me. What he does is he talks to us through other people, through other believers. 
He speaks to us through his word, of course, his 66 books that he laid out to us, but he speaks to us primarily, I think, as we live together and love together and share together. So what, that's what family is for. The family of God is for the sharing of life on this planet, the sharing of a life that will glorify him and show how magnificent he is to a world that is lost and dying. That's what we're here for. So if you came today to find your spiritual gift, because I haven't got a gift and I just wish I had one, and, and I want to be able to do this, and I just want to be a healer, you know, I want to be able to lay my hands on Natalie and just say, be healed in Jesus' name, and I want her to stand up and shake and, and say, I'm healed, I'm healed. If that's why you came, go home. Because honestly, that's not going to happen because I honestly do not believe. In fact, it doesn't matter what I believe. I know that God does not work that way. He works in a fashion that will be a, a, a sort of blessing to you that will last, that will stay, that will carry you through hard times, that will enable you to be alone in your room at night with no one else around you and to remember... I know my God and he knows me and I will never, ever, ever be alone. That's what we're for. We're to build each other up and share God with one another and bless one another as he blesses through us so that each one of us can correctly represent the Lord Jesus Christ who is the saviour and redeemer of all mankind. So... Um, yeah, so Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that you're going to do that today. Thank you. Thank you that you put this in my head. Thank you, Lord God, that you will speak it out. Thank you that for all of my shaking and all of my stuttering and all of everything, Lord God, you will be here because you are a God who wants to be known and we are a people who want to know you. And you promise, Lord God, that if we seek you, we will find you. So, Lord God, we we're just want to find you today. We want to find you and we expect to find you and we ask, Lord God, that when we do, we receive that joy, that joy of the Lord that is our strength, that, that joy that, and that peace that passes all understanding, Lord God, so that we can, so that we can correctly show your glory out into the family and beyond into the world. And I thank you, Lord, because you will do it. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and we're going to spend most of the time, uh, probably most of the time, in, in his, his, uh, those three chapters in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which is where he speaks mostly about the body of Christ and the working of God in and through uh, each member of it. Um, and he starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and he says... Uh, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. First uh, Corinthians 12, if you go there. Um, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. Um, and of course, that applies to us too. God does not want us to be unaware of the nature and purpose of spiritual gifts. And actually, more accurately, in the original language, the word gift is not in that sentence. So actually what the sentence means is concerning spirituality, concerning regenerate, concerning spiritual, 
I do not want you to be unaware. So, um, uh, the first thing to understand is that the, what we are calling spiritual gifts is actually, uh, Paul is writing, God is writing through Paul about spirituality, the expression of spirituality, and what that actually is and what that means. So, um, before we get into Corinthians, we're going to just briefly flip back a few pages to Romans, Romans chapter 1, where Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's going to tell them that he longs to see them. Romans chapter 1, verse um, 11 and 12. Uh, For I long to see you, so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Um, so he says he's, he's longing to be with them. He wants to share with them, impart to them, or share with them his spiritual. Remember the word gift is not usually there in the original Greek. It is in this case. So he wants to share with them or impart to them some uh, his spiritual gifts to establish them, to strengthen them. And in the next sentence, he says, and their gifts will strengthen him. The word for gift there is charisma. And it comes from two words in the Greek, charis, which means grace, and ma, which means result. So when he talks about the gift, when the word is actually in the original language, what it means is the result of grace. So Paul is saying, I long to see you so that I could share with you or impart to you the result of the spiritual grace that I have received. And I know that when I'm with you, you will share the result of the spiritual grace you've received and both of us will be strengthened and established. So um, that's the purpose then of spiritual gifts. The pur- or one of the purpose at least is that spiritual gifts, as they are shared with one another, establish and strengthen believers. They are family gifts. They are gifts within the family. And they are given for the strengthening and establishing of other people. So, go back to 1 Corinthians, and we'll see that confirmed, actually. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to ask someone else to read it so that my voice doesn't, isn't, so that I can observe it a little bit. So could someone read chapter 12, verse 1 to 11, please? Thank you. 
Thank you. Okay. So, as you read through Corinthians, if you've gone through the whole letter, by the time you get to chapter 12, you know that they've got a lot of trouble going on. They're a young church. They, um, he writes to them in the beginning, and he says that he knows they've been uh, blessed with every spiritual gift. He knows that they are believers, but there's a lot of division in this church, and there's a lot of trouble. And the division, by the time you get to chapter 12, you start to see that one of the areas of division is their understanding of spiritual gifts and their ranking of them in, uh, in, in supposed importance. So Paul wants to write to them to let them know the truth about spiritual gifts. And he starts, as I said before, by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about spirituality. And then he's going to say that no one can say Jesus is accursed. What is it he says? Um, uh, sorry. Um, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now that's quite difficult for us because we don't live in Corinth. We live where we live. We live in Cirencester or in London. I live in London at the moment. Or we live in Bristol or we live in Gloucester. And, and so it's quite hard for us because we, we're trying to work out what's he talking about? Somebody saying Jesus is accursed and what's he saying Jesus is Lord? But if we understand what's going on in Corinth, it makes it a little bit easier. Corinth is a cosmopolitan city. It's a city of trade and commerce, and it is a trade of great immorality and pagan worship. And all of that is mixed together. In that way, it's a city just like London, a city just like Gloucester. It's a city just like Bristol. It's a city where everything is getting mixed up, and people don't really know what's right and what's wrong, and it's confusing to them. And these people who have come to believe in the Lord Jesus, they are trying to do church in the middle of a city that is pulling them in all sorts of directions. And actually what goes on in Corinth is a, a very strange sort of pagan worship. There, there were these oracles in Corinth, people who supposedly spoke for gods, the Roman and the Greek gods. And uh, the an ordinary everyday person thought that the person who was speaking for the god, the priestess or the priest, was necessarily very spiritual and everything that came out of their mouth had to be true. So, for example, you had the understanding in Corinth that epilepsy was the divine disease because it couldn't be explained and because it threw someone around and because they started uh, uttering things in the beginning of a fit, they started making sounds and people started thinking that was a divine disease. The oracle at Delphi, you might have heard of the oracle at Delphi, apparently she used to breathe in volcanic, volcanic fumes and then whatever words came out of her mouth was then dis uh, considered to be the words from the gods. So she'd breathe in all this volcanic fume, she'd then almost pass out, and before she passed out, she'd be speaking out these words, and people would think that she was speaking from God. 
That's what he's talking about. No one can say Jesus is a curse, or if anyone says Jesus is a curse, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Because these oracles, these so-called people who are speaking for the gods, are not going to say Jesus is Lord. That takes an understanding about who Jesus is, and they're not going to do it. They're going to come out with all this rubbish. Now, the difficulty comes when you've got people now who are in the church, who have believed, and who start speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages, or even angelic languages. And no one knows what they're talking about. So now you're starting to get confusion. Do you see what I mean? You're starting to get confusion, because are they really Christians, or are they just somebody who's been laying on a floor in a, vol in a volcanic cave and started to breathe in the fumes. Who are these people? And are they speaking divine utterances? And unfortunately, the Corinthians decided that anyone who spoke in a tongue must be so spiritual because no one else could understand. And actually, that's not far from our day. Because what we, what is the prevailing thought in our intellectual culture is, if I can't understand it, it must be right. It must be important. And the person who's speaking it must be much closer to God than me. So can you see how this problem is arising in the church? There's all this stuff going on. It's really confusing. And so Paul, God through Paul, writes to them and says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want you to understand I want you to understand that a spiritual gift is the result of grace in your life. It's the result of the specific grace of God in you. And it is used for the benefit of the family of God. It's not for you. It's for them. It's not that you won't receive a benefit from it. You will. Because you'll know that God is blessing someone else through you and that will give you joy. But it's not for you to build yourself up and to be some magnificent person in the body of Christ. And he'll spend the whole chapter actually talking to them about someone's a foot and someone's a hand and someone's this and someone's that. And we all need each other and we all work together and no one is more important than the other. So, um, as you look at as we start to look first at spiritual gifts, that's the basic understanding. He's saying to them, don't view spirituality from your old perspective. Don't view the work of God from the way you thought he worked before you were a believer. Don't even view the work of God or try to assess it from the way someone else has told you he works. Only understand the work of God through the way he writes in his word and works through the body of Christ. Understand the place, your place in the body of Christ through the whole, not individually. Now, we come from a culture that is very individualistic. We come from the Greek-Roman culture where the individual is king. And what we are being told by God and, and drawn into by God is a complete opposite, where only he is king and the rest of us are part of the body of Christ. 
where each one of us is not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, where each one of us is to submit to the other, where each one of us is to consider the others as more important than us. Can you see how that is difficult? It's really difficult. And so Paul writes, he writes three chapters and uh, to try and get them to understand that the reason for spiritual gifts is for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. That's the purpose. Why might that be? That's a question, just to make sure you're here with me. Why might that be? There's no wrong answers. Usually there's no wrong answers, yeah? To glorify God, yeah, but how? How will it be? Because why can't I glorify God in myself, like individually? Why can't he build us all up individually and I go out and be a great Christian and you go out and be a great Christian and why can't that be possible? Hey? It's open for deception, that's one thing. Yeah, exactly. There wouldn't be just one God and also... Because we're family, yeah, all good, right? But yeah, exactly, that's true. But even more, even more basic and fundamental, I'm afraid to tell you this, but you are not enough on your own to represent Christ. I know it's hard to imagine, but you just aren't. You just cannot correctly represent Christ alone. We need each other. We need each other to form this picture of the great and wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that you're horrible or that you're, or that you're nothing. I don't mean that. But I mean to correctly represent Christ, he wants a body. He doesn't want a finger or an arm or a toe or a kneecap. He wants a body, and that's how God has chosen that he will be represented. So every time one individual Christian tries to stand higher than the rest, every time one individual Christian says, I know the way, follow me, every time one of us says, I'm living a great life, I know that I'm holy, and I know that God's going to do that, and he's going to do it all through me, we are seriously lacking in our representation of the glory of God. It's the body of Christ that represents him on the planet. It's the body of Christ through whom the Holy Spirit works. It's the body of Christ who can rise up like an army and stand strong in the days that we live in. It's the body of Christ that can fight together and stand together do you see what I mean? It's the body of Christ. We can't do it on our own. Go ahead, Mike. I would say that I sent a text to a lady who's having some problems uh, with her week, uh, and it was from the message, and it's Ephesians 6. It says, uh, it, uh, it's a life of death, uh, life or death, fight against the devil and his angels. So be prepared, you're up against far more than you can cope with. I hope she was encouraged. <laughs> it's like, really? Well, I'm only here on my own at the moment. 
I'm sure she was. I'm sure she was. I'm sure she was. Okay, so let's start then. Uh, now, there are varieties of gifts, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 12. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good the good of the family. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the good of the family. And, um, and what he's going to say here is, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all at work in this uh, good for the family, for the common good. Look at what he says. Each one, each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That word manifestation means expression. So each one of us has the expression of the Spirit. And then what does he say? Um, for, um, uh, sorry. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord, the same Lord Jesus. So there's a, a variety of gifts coming from the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries. A ministry is just an area of service. It's no big deal. It's not a capital M, ministry. I've got a ministry. That's so wonderful. It's a small M, and it's just an area. It's an area of service. So there are varieties of gifts. There are or manifestations of the Spirit, expressions of the Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but they come from the same Lord. And there are varieties of results, and they come from the same Father. So actually, you're not involved? <sighs> so hard, <laughs> isn't it? It's so hard for us. Because we live in a culture that's all about me. And I'm, my, so much of my life is all about me. And I've been a Christian 25 years in November, and it's still a lot about me. And the whole Bible is telling me it's not about you, Anne. It's about God. Even the Holy Spirit's gifts, even the expression of God through you is about him and not you. It's about the Holy Spirit as he manifests himself through you. And the area of service you move in, that was given to you by Jesus. And all the results in it, they're coming from God the Father. So actually, I mean, he loves you and he'll use you, but it's not about you. It's not about you. And that's hard. It's so hard. So there are these varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of results, but they are all the work of the same triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are the family of God, united. We are parts of the same body, and we will express our God better when we understand that working together, we complete the picture. It's like a jigsaw. What goes a jigsaw with 87 pieces missing? Or even one piece, thank you, Suya, or even one. It's the whole picture that the world needs to see. So this, let's take those, just take them apart a little bit. Look at verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation or expression of the Spirit for the common good. Each one. So who's the each one? Each one. We've got a mention. Here, that's me. That's me. That's you. Each one. So 
If there's not a believer in the room, that's okay, just don't put your hand up now. So all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, every single one of us, the Holy Spirit manifests himself through. Whether you know it or not, God is at work in you by his Spirit. And he wants to bless the people around you. And he will do it through you. Each one is given the expression of the Spirit for the common good. He, so the manifestation, the expression of God, the Spirit. Who is the Spirit of God? Who is he? What has he done so far? Not in you. I know, just forget about you for a minute. What has he done? Hmm? Yeah, not in you. That Spirit of God was brooding over the surface of the waters at creation. So he was there before time began. He was there. He's God. See, we talk about the Holy Spirit like it. It. He was there creating the universe. What else has he done so far? <laughs> yeah, he's leading us into all truth. Yes. Well, he's brought them to, to give. Yeah, he's, he's God himself. Yeah, what else is he doing? Has he done? He wrote the Bible. He wrote the Bible. My goodness. Yes, so he did. And? He, yes. He's the spirit of Christ who is the word. Yeah. He gives us discernment. Yeah. He's the great comforter. Come on, come on. Not the same ones. You've got to be quiet over there now, Mike. So... <laughs> Only for five minutes. Yeah. Come on, someone else. What else? What has God done so far? God the Spirit, what has he done so far? He's birthed the church. He's birthed the body of Christ. What else? He's empowered the church. He's brought revival. He's done things that we don't even know about. He's done great and mighty and wonderful things through the body of Christ so far. And he's not going to stop now. Why not? Because he's an unchanging God. And because he is always working. Always working. God is always working. And he is always working towards us, the body of Christ, in what way? He is, yeah, yeah, kind of, for what purpose? Sorry, my fault. What purpose? <laughs> yes. Exactly. So now what's he doing? Tell me your name. Peter, I can't see your label. Sorry, Peter. Right, and he is being glorified right now through us. So he, how is that happening? What's happening? He is working towards us. Paul will say in Ephesians that he wished we could understand the surpassing greatness of power that is at work towards us, us believers. What's, what's that surpassing great power at work towards us for? To enable us to stand, to stand and to stand firm. What were you going to say, Anne? 
So glorify God, same thing, same thing. It has the same result. When the body of Christ stands together, when we weep together, when we laugh together, when we hold each other, when words are just not, we haven't got the words, when we live together and share together, when we care about each other, God is glorified and his power is shown. See, we don't think about it that way. We want a miracle. Give me a miracle, you know, just, just do something at the back door. Set it alight. Do you know what I mean? And then it's, ah, oh, wow, there's God. You know, and we miss the fact that there he is in all his greatness. When you walk up to someone and you look them in the eye and you see great sadness and you just reach out your arms and say, God loves you. He is working. That's his surpassing greatness of power that is at work towards us. And he is always working and will never stop because he is an unchanging, overwhelming God. And I, so that's what he's been doing so far. And it says um, in 1 Timothy uh, 3, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Yes. So we have to try and... Exactly. Thank you, Maureen. Exactly. And, and the thing is, if, if the whole purpose of God is or the whole purpose of God's work through us is to make him known, we should be able to see that from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. We should be able to see the God who wants to be known in those words that he's written us. So how do we know that God wants to be known? Only from scripture. How do we know that God wants to be known? Because he wrote us a book, that's one thing. Secondly, through his children. Yeah, through his children. So, but what do we know? What do we know from the words of Scripture that tell us that God wants to be known? And what did you say? Yes, 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 yes. You know that God wants to be known because he says he made himself evident in creation. Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20. He made himself evident in creation. He is the one who flung the stars into space, who called them all by name, who, who made the planets, who made everything. And when he did, he wanted you to look on a dark night sky and look up and say, oh God, you are glorious. He wanted you to get to the top of a mountain or a hill and stand there with snow all around you and say, and into a blue sky, which I have done, how could there be such beauty? If only God, only from God. He made himself evident in creation. You know God wants to be known. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. What do you know about God that tells you he wants to be known? He made himself evident within every person. He put the knowledge of himself in every person. God wants to be known. He wants to be known. He, because with um, Adam and Eve, he communed with them every day in the garden. Yes. And even when they were cast out, he still, he still spoke with them. Yes. Yes, so, so Adam and Eve, creation, putting the knowledge of himself in every person. How else do you know that God wants to be known? You know this stuff, it's really simple. 
Yes, yes, he did, but he made a nation through which he wanted to be known, called Israel. He called Abraham and Sarah, and he made a nation. And then when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, he said, you are my people, you are my people, and I'm going to make covenants with you, and I'm going to give you a law, so that people will know God, will know who he is. Does God want to be known? Definitely. Um, Exodus? Somewhere. Exodus at the beginning. Um, and Genesis 12, the first call of Abraham, Genesis 12 and, and on through there. Um, so, he wants to be known. He wants to be, to be known. I've lost track. Sorry. Oh, yes. So, he made Israel. And then when he had the nation and they weren't doing so great, what did he do? Carried on loving them, but in order to be known. Just before that, we can't get there too quick, Jenny. Well, we are getting there, but not too quick. So what else did he do? Through Israel, what did he do? He sent prophets. He raised up people to speak to his nation, to say, what you're doing? You're going the wrong way. Come back, come back. And there's going to be a time coming when I'm going to send a Messiah, a Saviour, and he's going to save you because he wants to be known, this God. He wants to be known. And then, over to you, and then Jesus, and then Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, Roman, uh, John chapter 1. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Why did Jesus come? Because God wants to be known. He came because God so loves the world, of course, that he gave his only begotten son. He came because he needed to come to, in order to make the bridge between us and God, to bring us back, to reconcile us with God. But he came and he lived he lived on this planet. See, if he hadn't wanted to be known, he could have just come and died. If God does not want to be known for who he is, Jesus did not have to live for 33 years. He could have been born and died and gone, resurrected, and offered salvation. But he wanted to be known, known by character, known in a way that we would be able to want to be like he made himself known as a healing God, as a loving God, as a caring God, as a God who will never leave you, as a God who wants to be with you. The last words in, the, in Ezekiel's prophecy, Ezekiel's prophecy, which looks like it's coming on us faster and faster, Ezekiel's promise, and the name of the city will be Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. That's our God. He wants to be here with us. He wants to be with all of us. He wants to be here and he wants us to know him. And the reason he's given us his spirit, left his spirit as a seal of our inheritance, as a pledge that we, we belong to him, is so that we are enabled to make him known to other people. Because that's God's purpose. Why are you still on the planet? Tell me, why weren't you beamed up like Scotty in Star Trek? The moment you believe... I'm sorry, that's my age, you know, Star <laughs> Beam me up, Scotty. So, why did that not happen when you believed? Why? What's the purpose of you being here? 
Hey? <coughs> Sorry, Barbara. I Yes, so that we can be his representative, his ambassadors, and together, so that we can make God known. Now, who is God? I mean, not, obviously, he's, he's all those things, but I mean, what sort of a God is he? He's a God of love, and a God of caring, and a God of humility. This is the God who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, Philippians 2, even to the form of a bondservant. That's the God we represent. We represent Jesus, the Redeemer, the Saviour. So how are we doing, do you think, when we blow trumpets and, and we send off petals of gold and we stand on street corners and draw attention to ourselves? How are we doing with making God known? for who he is. Really, it's a shameful thing. We're not representing God. We're representing ourselves. Look at me. Look how shiny I am. Look how little sickness I have. Oh my goodness. Look how healthy I am. Look how wealthy I am. Look at how great my life is. Look at how my children are all grown up so nicely. And my grandchildren look so beautiful. And they're all so super intelligent. And they get the first, you know, the star role in the school play and my, my granddaughter she's running really fast and she's doing all of that because God loves me that's the church so often we represent out into the world the God that we represent and that God does not exist I don't know Mike, depends what you're going to say <laughs> yeah it is you can have one more minute mm. Sorry, I'm looking at what's happening out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, God wants to be known. I think that was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but not to worry, Mike. It's sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, so, God wants to be known. Why does he want to be known? Scripture, why does he want to be known? Just tell me scripture. 
There's a sentence in Scripture in John's Gospel, just to give you a clue. Yeah. He wants to be known because knowing God is eternal life. And this is eternal life, Jesus said. John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God wants to be known because that is eternal life. How important is it, do you think, that we understand the use and the reason for spiritual gifts? How important is it that we understand that it's not all about me, it's all about us? How important is it that I decide right now, if I've never decided it before, that it will no longer be all about me, but it will be all about him and all about the body of Christ. And when you make that decision, what will you find happening? The third phrase. What is it he says here? Now there are varieties of uh, gifts, and the, uh, sorry, but to each one, verse 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There is a common good that goes on when each one of us actively allows the Spirit to express himself within us. There is a, a common good that is reaped when we decide, do you know what? I'm not as important as all of everybody else. I, and even to say that, you have to have understood something about God. What is it? Yes. What did you say, Maureen? Yeah, without partiality. But how can we, honestly, I mean, you know, you might be able to do it really well, but it's hard for me to think that you're more important than me. You know, on a daily basis, every five minutes, that's tricky. So, so, what was my question? Oh yeah, <laughs> how can we even want to be like that? How can we even want to do that? What must we know about God? Yes, yes, and that he has promised that he will provide for me. He will raise me up in the right time. He will be my protector, my provisor. He will look after me. So I don't have to worry about me. I can just worry about everybody else. Yes, of course. Oh, we're going to get all, all of that, I think, Maureen. Hopefully we will get there today. But yes, definitely. But the, the, can you see what I mean? You have to know God to even want to be like that. You have to know that he's a provider, that he's a protector, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he'll be with you every moment. You have to know that so that now you stop worrying about, is God with me and what's going to happen and how will that be? And you start to think, God, use me. Open my eyes so that I see how Alan needs to know you today, how Vanessa needs to hear your voice, how I can be used by you in a real way. Not in some ethereal kind of. No, it was good. It was yes. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it is. It's practical. It is. It is. We do. We do definitely. Yes. Yes. 
God gave you the resources that made you able to do that sort of thing. Amen. Because he's my friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen. Okay, so um, this common good then, if it's for the common good, for the good of the body of Christ, essentially, although it will take individual forms and it might be hugging someone or laughing with them or whatever it is, or healing or a miracle, it might be any of those things, but let's say it is for the common good. If the church, the body of Christ, receives good as a whole, what else is happening? at the same time. The world is seeing it. The world is seeing it and what but what are they seeing? Love one another. Yeah. Loving one another. Yes. They're seeing the glory of God. They're seeing the glory of God. And actually Ephesians chapter three, verse ten tells us that not only the world sees this glory being manifested in the in and through the church, but the spiritual realms see the glory of God or the wisdom of God. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says the manifold, the various wisdom of God is is shown in the heavenly places through the church, through the church, through the body of Christ. So God is glorified on earth when we live for each other as an extension of our living for him and he is glorified in heavenly places. You can't get that in your head. How can you get that in your head? That's like, that's like Mike's act in the garage. You're welcome. Mike's act in the garage glorified or built up the body of Christ. It was for the common good because it told those people that Christians behave like this. And so not only were those people blessed, you were blessed because you received great joy from that. Exactly, because God's glory always results in joy for the believer. So he's glorified, you receive joy, and heavenly places rejoice. And God's wisdom is made evident in the heavenly places. So if you want to do good for people, people in the church and even people outside, if you want to do good for people, what's the best you can do for someone? Tell them about Jesus, yes. Give them the gospel, yes. But in a kind of less specific way, what's the best thing that you can do? Be their servants. Be their servants, yeah. It's tough, isn't it? It's really tough. John, I'll have to talk to you. So that answer tells me a lot about you. So be their servants. But we, what we want to do is manifest the glory of God to people. If you want to help people, if you want to be good to people, be they in the church or out of the church, the best thing you can do is make God known for who he is through the gospel, as Julie says, through helping, through serving, make God known. So, and if you want to help people, if that's your heart, if you really have a heart for people, um, and, or if you don't have, no, that, that was that, wasn't it? Did I just say that? If you want to help people, make God known. If you want to glorify God, what are you going to do? <coughs> help people. Do you see what I mean? The two things go together. They're like a rolling stone that goes down. Yeah, go ahead, Peter. Use words, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. What I'm saying is together, you know, if you want to do good for people, make God known to them. If you want to make God known, do good. I don't mean just do a good thing. I mean do a good thing with his name on it. So 
because the two things are synonymous. The best you can do for someone is make God known to them. The very best you can do is to, to, is to introduce them to God or, glory, or, or show them something else about God. So the problem is we live in a world where we have lots of people who want to do good but they don't know God. So they do a lot of good and it lasts sometimes for quite a time but it doesn't go through to eternity so ultimately they haven't helped. And then we have a lot of people who want to live for God and God's glory but they don't really want to be bothered with people very much. <laughs> so, and they want, they want the manifestation of his glory. So I want the miracle and I want the gold dust and I want the new teeth and I want to lose my glasses and all of that. I want you to heal me, God, because healing me is the most important thing. Do you see what I mean? Or healing this person. I'm going to use you again, Natalie, so <laughs> you're right here. You know, God, I want you to heal through me. Through me. And I want you to heal Natalie. Now, I don't much care whether she comes to know you or not. I just want you to heal her. <coughs> Do you see what I mean? The two things must be together. Glorifying God is doing good for people. If you really want to do good for people, you will glorify God. It's a two-way. So, what have you been given? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have been given the expression of the Holy Spirit. Why? To enable you to do good for others and thereby glorify God. Not for yourself, but for him and for his church. The church is the place, really, where those two things come together, glorifying God and doing good for other people. And just before we, we'll take a break, but the each ones that we talked about right at the beginning, but to each one is given the expression of the Spirit, uh, the manifestation of the Spirit. Could you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9? Because I think we... One good thing is to understand who the each ones are, who we are. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica and he's writing a good letter to them and he's saying, um, for they themselves, other people, report to us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. What I want to particularly look at is how you turned to God from idols. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what you have said is, I am repenting, turning around, and I'm going to walk towards God. That means you have to leave every other thing behind you. Now, the Thessalonians, it was easy to see because they had statues. I lived in Japan for a long time and in Hong Kong. They have statues and they dress them up. It's easy to see false gods and idols because they're there in, physically. You can touch them. But in our life and in our culture, it's not so easy to see false gods. It's not so easy to see idols. So ask yourselves the question as you go to have a cup of coffee and a biscuit or whatever and you start talking, before you talk to anyone else, ask yourself the question, have I really turned to God from idols? 
Are my idols behind me? Am I walking away from them? Some of them are bigger than others. Some of them are stronger. Some of them have a harder pull on. Some of them keep coming back and darting in front of me. But whatever, are you setting your eyes resolutely on God and turning your back? Turning your back on reputation and position and wealth and family. Not that those things necessarily are bad, but they, if they are idols in your life, are they behind you? Because you see, Paul says to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But he's assuming that all of the each ones have turned towards God. In his, in his uh, understanding of the gospel, there is no such thing as a believer who's still running after idols. There's just no such thing. That person doesn't exist. As far as Paul's concerned, a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ sets their course towards God. Yes, they get waylaid. Yes, they fall over. Yes, they make a mess sometimes. But their intent, the desire of their heart, is for God and not for this other stuff. So, Father, we're going to take a break now and I thank you for this morning, the first session. I thank you, Lord, and I, I pray, Father, that um, yeah, that you will be with us in our conversations. I know you will be there, Lord, but that we'll give you the space in our minds that we will start to think about everyone in the room and see them as part of the body of Christ, as someone that God's, that you specifically brought here for this day, and that we might really look people in the eye and decide that we will love them with the love that we know you will provide in all of our conversation and in all of this day. For your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.